You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 301 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowan, coming to you live on this fine Wednesday evening. Before we get started on today's podcast, I want to remind you guys, check out the previous episodes, including episode 300, which was our most recent episode with Robbie Callen of Uprock Sports. Check that out, of course. But, uh, you know, the Hawks were in action this evening, uh, or last night, as probably most of you are listening to this on Thursday. Uh, the team fell by a score of 110 to 106 at the hands of the Orlando Magic in overtime. A pretty frustrating game if you are someone who's rooting for the Hawks to win games, which is most of the fan base still. I know uh, there's always the overarching theme of uh, potential losses with, with an eye on, on the uh, draft lottery, but you know, in the moment at least, most people are rooting for the Hawks to win games, and this is a game that the Hawks easily could have won and arguably should have won. Uh, just We'll hit on a couple of uh, big picture things that actually took took place during the game before we get into the actual uh, you know individual breakdowns and stuff like that. Um, in fact, I looked for a minute in the first quarter like it was going to be a runaway for the Magic, actually. It was a, there was a 10-0 run for the Magic in the first quarter, and uh, Orlando had a 136 offensive rating in the first quarter, despite missing all five of their three-point attempts. The Hawks really only were able to hang around um, and were only down by eight points because they actually made four of their four of their own five um, three-point attempts in that quarter. But the second quarter was very, very kind to the Hawks as they outscored the Magic by a score of 29-13 to 13. In that second quarter, uh, that included a 6-0 run to start the quarter and, an, and a 12 and a 12-2 run later on in the quarter that gave Atlanta its first lead. And from there, the Hawks really led for the majority of the game. Um, you know, actually, um, you know, for, for the most, I think the first time that actually the uh, Magic came back and led was uh, about the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter after a nine, after a 9-0 run um, sort of evaporated the lead that, that, that the Hawks had prior to that. Um, and then from there, we can kind of get into a little bit of play-by-play, actually, because it was very interesting to see if people missed this game wanted to rely on the podcast. So I want to break this down for you a little bit as to what transpired. Uh, there was a three by Kent Bazemore in the corner that looked to give the Hawks a two-point lead with 133 to go, but it was actually waved off. Um, and uh, then there was a, a missed layout by Dennis Schroeder that left the Hawks down by one. Um, but from there, Alfred Payton committed a ghastly touch foul with 27 seconds to go that allowed Dennis Schroeder to get to the line and make both free throws. Um, from there, Evan Fournier threw a god-awful pass that was picked off by Bazemore, who made both free throws to give the Hawks a three-point lead with 14.7 seconds to go. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, the Hawks were unable to keep that lead in regulation as uh, DJ Augustine nailed a top-of-the-key three-pointer off something of a broken play with six seconds to go. I will say this is pretty terrible defense by the Hawks. If you go back and look at it, um, there were you know far too many bodies uh, in or near the paint in a situation where you're up by three points with the clock running down. Uh, it ended up being uh, Nick Vucevic swinging the ball to um, Augustine for a three, but both those guys honestly could have taken the shot themselves on the one defender in the area that was outside the paint. And, uh, yeah, just a kind of a broken play, so I, I totally understand it, to, to at least to a certain degree. But uh, that ended up being a uh, shot that gave the uh, Magic basically the ability to tie the game. And from there, uh, 
Dennis Schroeder had the opportunity to find Ursula Mesova on the final possession, did not pass the ball to him, ended up getting a, a very, very late kick out to Marco Bellinelli, who couldn't get a shot before the, uh, the the clock expired, and from there it was going to overtime, and the Hawks were really never, um, not, that, not, that they, not that they didn't have a chance in overtime, but uh, for the most part it was all magic in the overtime period. Um, there was a steal from Alfred Payton and a dunk to take the lead, and then from there a basket interference call on DeAndre Bembry that led to an an offensive rebound bucket for Nick Vucevic to give the Magic a three-point lead, and then Bays missed a jumper uh, before Aaron Gordon scored to go up by five, and that was going to be pretty much the end of it, but uh, the dagger came on a reverse layup by Augustine with 15, with 15 seconds to go uh, to put the uh, Magic up by four again, and that was a uh, um, that was kind of, you know, kind of the end of that as they uh, were able to hold off the Hawks for a four-point victory. You know, I, I don't usually do the whole play-by-play thing, but in a game, you know, it's rare these days when the Hawks are playing an overtime basketball game. It's the first overtime of the game of the season in game number 24. So I actually was reminded on the broadcast when Bob Rathman said that it was, uh, you know the Hawks were five and zero last year in overtime games. That was one. It was one reason why the Hawks actually were able to outperform their point differential for the season as they were famously outscored for the whole season last year, but going 5-0 in overtime, not really sustainable, and uh, obviously now they're 0-1 this year. Uh, defensively in this game, uh, there was, you know, I mentioned that first quarter was really, really bad, uh, allowing the 136 offensive rating to the Magic in that first quarter, but from there from there on, actually, the Hawks were quite good defensively. Orlando finished the game with a 102 offensive rating, which is very, very good um, for Atlanta to hold them to that number, especially when you consider uh, just how bad it was in the first quarter, but from there, uh, the Magic scored 13 points in the second quarter. They did have a 30-point third quarter what you know that was actually the fastest paced quarter of, of the entire game in terms of just pure tempo both sides going back and forth and then Orlando was uh, pretty much held in check in the fourth and then uh, you know overtime wasn't terrible either from the defensive standpoint so at 30, if you're looking for positives, that was definitely one of them. You know, the first quarter was, again, uh, really, really bad, but there were some adjustments made, and the Hawks played uh, definitely more fundamentally sound and allowed, you know, actually, you know, Orlando shot the ball better after the first quarter, but the rest of their, you know, fundamentals were much, much worse after the first quarter, and that's something that you can take some solace in if you're a Hawks fan, that there was an adjustment made and there was an improvement there. Uh, offensively, the numbers were really not good throughout the game, honestly. Uh, the first quarter um, and the third quarter were okay, but the second, fourth, and overtime were really not for the sorry, – sorry, I did that math wrong. The second quarter was – the second quarter and the third quarter were pretty good. The first and fourth and overtime were not great for the Hawks. Um, overall, the Hawks were at a, at a clip of 98.4 points per hundred possessions, which is uh, good for a – that would be good for a bottom five figure in the league for sure on a full-season basis. Of course, it's, it's a one-game sample, but Orlando's not this great defensive team or anything like that. Um, for the most part, there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about offensively. You know, Some of that's just lack of talent. The Hawks don't have a, a ton of guys right now in the absence of John Collins and even Deadman, who's been who's been good this year offensively, that can create a whole lot um, of, of sustainable, efficient offense. But still, you want to see a little bit a little bit more than that. Um, they were able to uh, also got beat up a little bit on the offensive glass. Um, the Magic had 13 offensive rebounds, uh, five from Aaron Gordon, five from Nick Vucevic. Uh, Gordon was the best player on the court in this game, 24 points, 15 rebounds, four the leader of the Magic, a young guy, um, finally playing power forward full-time for the first time in his career, and he's been playing extremely well. It was really a three-man show for Orlando that really gave Atlanta a lot of trouble with Gordon. Evan Fournier, who led, who led the way with 27 points before he rolled an ankle, actually, in the... Um, in the, in the overtime period, actually, that was kind of a break that the Hawks caught uh, late in this game. Is that they, they were not dealing with with Fournier, who they had a lot of trouble stopping in this game, but it didn't end up mattering too much. And then uh, Nick Vucevic, 22 points and 16 rebounds. Um, he's definitely a traditional center, as we'll talk about in the uh, individual portion of the podcast. 
Uh, the Hawks did not really roll with much in the way of traditional center play in this game. That you know that can leave you vulnerable in some ways, can really strike you in others. But one of the ways they were vulnerable was on the glass, and that's kind of what you you would expect that to happen. I, I'm sure Bud would have traded that off, and he probably knew they knew that he was by going with some smaller lineups in this contest. But uh, you know, Vucevic uh, did some damage, and he was a plus 12 in the game, which is uh, ended up being sort of decisive. Before we get into the rest of the podcast, I do want to remind you guys, as always, to check out um, the, the show on a on a subscription basis. Give us a five star rating if you can and a, and a positive review if you like the podcast if you don't like the podcast you can let us know uh, that as well uh, we are la- at locked on hawks on twitter and at locked on hawks on facebook as well as locked on hawks at gmail.com if you want to have a long form question or want to have a discussion about something you can reach out to me there for sure but please subscribe on the uh, on whatever podcast platform you like to listen to the shows on uh, whether it be apple podcast stitcher tune in radio google play whatever you know pick your favorite one pick all pick all four if you want to um, and check us out wherever you uh, whatever's best for you because we want to make the listening experience the best that it possibly can be for the listener. With that said, we can get into the, the individual part of the uh, program. We're going to start with the bench in this game. The Hawks played five guys off the bench, uh, led by Tyler Cavanaugh, who played 30 minutes. Um, Cavanaugh actually started the, started the second half of this game for Miles Plumley, who we'll talk about a little bit later on the show. But still, uh, Cavanaugh got the start in the, th- in the third quarter, took full, took full advantage of it, but was asked after the game, I believe, I believe by Michael Cunningham, BJC. I was not there, of course, but uh, watching the uh, post-game press conference on television about Kavanaugh's impact. He had 13 points and six rebounds. He uh, he's, he praised Kavanaugh, said he's been taking full advantage of the opportunity. That's definitely a case of that here. Uh, he was 5 of 10 from the floor, 2 of 4 from 3. He actually cooled off as a three-point shooter in recent days, but you know making 50% of his attempts here is a good thing. Uh, he was down to 35% coming in, which is you know still not bad. But he was lighting the world on fire early on when he first came up to Atlanta. Still, you know, Kavanaugh, I continue to have been impressed by his by his play. You know, he does not have that traditional NBA body in the way that you would think he uh, probably need to be long term. But if he can shoot the ball the way that he has and really rebound the way that he has, it can be it can be helpful as well. As he, he's been really crafty and efficient around the rim. Um, been pretty impressed with that. You know, not not a whole lot of athletic explosion from Tyler Kavanaugh, but um, it does take a, a whole lot of real skill to finish around the rim when you watch the way that he can create a little bit. For himself, there, uh, you know, my guard is up a little bit with him in terms of being a long-term NBA player, but he's he's definitely earned the minutes that he's been getting. Uh, you know, I will I would like to see Luke Babbitt play a little bit more, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, Kavanaugh took full advantage of the minutes that he was uh, assigned in this game and played relatively well. Uh, Babbitt, as I mentioned a second ago, only 13 minutes here. I have a feeling um, that that is probably due to his back a little bit. He did play again late in this game, so it wasn't as if he was unavailable. But you know, I'm not really sure if he's fully healthy. But I would agree with him not playing so much because you know, for all of Kavanaugh's um, you know brilliance or relative brilliance in this game and other games, uh, Babbitt is a better basketball player than Tyler Kavanaugh is. You know, some of that's Kavanaugh playing center, uh, which Babbitt you probably would not want Babbitt to play a whole lot of center and in terms of uh, facing off with guys like Vucevic. Still, uh, Babbitt playing 13 minutes versus 30 for Kavanaugh. I have to hope that's at least somewhat injury-related with Babbitt's back. Uh, but he was uh, he had three points, one of two from the floor, kind of just anonymous play. He wasn't bad at all in the limited time that he uh, was uh, out, out there, but still something just to file away for the future. Uh, elsewhere on the bench, Isaiah Taylor, 15 minutes of play. He only played when Shooter did not. Um, and uh, there was only, there actually was a little bit of crossover time for the first time in a while here. Uh, Bud has been going with just purely uh, Taylor as a backup point guard. But in this game, he did play at least one stint uh, alongside Schroeder in the two-point guard look, but it was not like he was um, a, a focal point during that stretch. But he had four points, two assists in uh, 15 minutes. He was okay, nothing uh, spectacular at all. And but you know, as Taylor said, he's, he definitely had better games than this, but he wasn't bad either, which is kind of all you can need. Uh, all you need out of the backup point guard spot. 
Uh, Marco Bellinelli, 28 minutes. He was uh, 4 of 12 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3, so not exactly efficient, but uh, kind of amusingly was the Hawks' best uh, plus-minus player at plus 15. He had 12 points, uh, hit a big 3 late, uh, had 7 rebounds. Uh, Bellinelli, was, it was a very Bellinelli game. Uh, Hawks' uh, bud was not shy about um, going offense-defense for him. In the overtime period, he was going with Bembry at times uh, when they needed a defensive stop, and that's Definitely the right the right way to approach that. But only took a couple of bad shots as you would expect him to take, but uh, you know made made a big one and uh, knocked down the ones that he used, uh, that he needed to knock down. So a reasonable Bellinelli game here. Lastly, off the bench. DeAndre Bembry, 27 minutes. He had eight points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals. Did have six turnovers, which you do not want to see. Obviously, the Hawks had 17 in the game, um, and you know, you know, a third of them being for Bembry is not exactly great. Um, but three of six from the floor, made his only three point attempt, which is what you want to see. But memory, just knocking down shots at a reasonable clip is kind of all you need to see from him. But uh, you know, there were some hiccups with some ball security stuff. He had the, uh, he also had the. Um, it's I'm trying, I'm trying to think of, think of the best way to describe it. He had the, uh, un the unwise I would say basket interference play. Although I, I definitely understand what he was doing in the down the stretch there where he ended up tipping the ball before it actually came off the rim. You want that you want him to be aggressive in that spot, but you might think a little bit a little bit safer. We just let the ball come off the rim far enough to where you wouldn't get that call. But you know, some Hawks fans were mad about that call. I would not go that far. I think it was definitely the right call. Um, at the same time, it's just the timing of it all. I understand it. But uh, Bembry, you know, defensively, there were some good moments. I think he's uh, he's the best wing defender on the roster. It's not a big surprise, and they need him to they need him at, at times in this game to take away guys like Fournier. Um, I didn't think he was you know flawless defensively by any stretch of the imagination. He's had, he's had some better games recently, but uh, Bembry did have some flashes, which is uh, something you know I I love him. There's no there's no way around it. I love his I love his game the way he plays. But the turnovers were definitely a problem in this game, especially um, in the second half. And the starting lineup. <laughs> I mentioned before, Miles Plumley, uh, only 13 minutes here, eight points, four rebounds. He was ghastly in the first in the first quarter of this game. Uh, he was unplayable, honestly, in the first few minutes. Uh, that probably led to the decision to go to Tyler Cavanaugh in the second half to start things off. Um, I will say um, Plumley was much much better. In the second half, in his one stint that he actually played, he never came back in, but it was about a four or five minute stint in the second half. And uh, he was very efficient, made a couple of shots, uh, you know, four of six, obviously, for the game. His first two shots were misses. I think, I think he made his last four. He was very active. It looked more like the first game that we saw, whereas the first half looked, looked more like uh, Monday's game against Brooklyn. So it's, it's definitely running hot and cold right now for Miles Plumley, which is not a surprise. He's not played a whole lot of basketball in, re- in the recent past, so him not being super consistent is not a big, not a big shock. But, you know, if you can just get, you know, 15 minutes out of him of reasonable production and until Collins and Devin return. That's kind of all you can ask for for Pumley. But, you know, there, there have been times when he looks like he has no business playing, and then there are times when he looks like the guy he's been in the past, you know, a couple of years ago when he was the guy earning the four-year $52 million contract. You know, it is it is what it is on, on that front. But, uh, you know, Pumley... He can he can look okay and be competent, and there were some signs of that in the second half. Uh, the other four starters played a lot of minutes here. Osana Elisova, 28 minutes, 9.7 rebounds. Um, wasn't a great Elisova game. He missed a couple of uh, shots that you have to have him ha- um, him him knocked down, especially early on in the game. But uh, Schroeder missing him on the late fourth quarter possession was kind of brutal. It was not his fault, of course. Uh, defensively, he took a couple of uh, brilliant charges, as he always is wont to do. Um, he had the, Gor- he, the Aaron Gordon assignment for a lot of this game. It didn't go well, which is not a big surprise because because Gordon is very, very good and uh, a lot more athletic and explosive than Elisova is, but for the most part, he was just fine. 
Uh, Ken Bazemore probably was not, I would say. Uh, yeah, four points, six, uh, six rebounds. Did have seven assists and only two turnovers, which is encouraging. But five fouls was one of nine from the floor. You know, I, I will I will always point to other things with Bazemore up, above his shooting in terms of uh, he can have a bad shooting night and still have an effective performance. But uh, it definitely hampered the Hawks in a big way that he was one of nine. Did make uh, the big shot that he actually made was late in the game. Um, but still, you know, Bays was not great at all. Uh, made the two free throws that he needed to make. Um, but you know he's got to make he's got to make more shots for the season. He continues to really struggle from the uh, from the floor. Uh, three point shooting has actually stabilized and been decent ish, but the field goal shooting and just his overall efficiency is really lacked. The playmaking was good though, seven assists. Um, there were a couple of uh, highlight moments for Bazemore and defensively, I thought he was helpful at times, but he did not play particularly well here. Uh, Torian Prince, thirty six minutes. Uh, 19.6 rebounds. His offensive game was very, very good here. It, you know, six of eight from the floor, you know, three of five from three, four of five from the line. 19 points on eight on eight shooting possessions. It's very, very good. Uh, Torian was mature in on the offensive end of the floor. Took what the what, what the defense was really allowing him to do. Knocked down a big shot that gave the Hawks a little bit of life in that overtime period when they really needed it. Um, defensively. I still am really frustrated by Torian. Honestly, I've talked about this a little bit in the recent past, but I think his defense has been kind of maddening. There are, there are times when you can certainly see him, him flashing what he's capable of on that end of the floor, but you know, I reiterated again tonight in the middle of the game, he's just better on offense than he is on defense right now, which I'm still surprised by, but it's, it's just the truth at the moment. Uh, in fact, I was talking to a mutual friend of the program, of course, Tyler Jones, on Twitter, um, I believe it was earlier today as I'm recording this, and he he made the comment that he thinks uh, John Collins is a better defender than Torian Prince. I'm actually inclined, inclined to agree, which is something that I would never have said, um, you know, even three months ago. It's not exactly a, uh, you know, some of that is Collins being much better than I thought he would have been defensively. I think he's, uh, you know, only slightly below average at this point, which is very, very encouraging for a guy who I thought was going to be a disaster as a rookie defensively. But uh, it's more of an indictment on Prince, honestly, and that, you know, Prince is uh, certainly not the above average defender that I thought he might be at this point, and he's, he's certainly a below average defender. There are definitely times, again, where he looks good, but there's too many lax possessions. There's too many, uh, you know, lack of effort spots or spots where he gets lost. He's taking his cues, um, you know, not, not in the greatest ways in terms of effort effort defensively from potentially other guys on the roster, all that fun stuff. But, you know, Torian's just not been good defensively. But offensively, he was very good here. Uh, he was a minus 13, which is not necessarily indicative. I don't think of the way he played here. It's kind of the same thing as Bell and Ellis plus 15. Um, those, those two guys were on the opposite ends of the spectrum, so it basically means that one of those guys was on the floor for one run and the other guy wasn't. Still, uh, Torian's offense was good. 19 points on eight on six of eight shooting. You're gonna take that all day from him. It's just the defense that has to come around. Uh, finally, Dennis Schroeder, 26 points, seven assists, five rebounds. Uh, took 26 shots for Dennis to get there. So it was not. This is not a great a great efficiency performance from Schroeder. Uh, you know, a, a point per shot's not absolutely terrible by any means, but still. I did not think he, think he was great at all here. There were some hero ball moments. The last position of the fourth quarter, he just has to find Eliasova. He was wide open. There's no way around it. You know, you don't want to over-highlight one possession. That's something that people would, will do when they're trying to be knee-jerk and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to do that here, but that's just an example of, you know, Dennis missing a wide-open opportunity for a pass. You know, the numbers, again, are what they are. 26-7 and seven looks looks good in the box score. I didn't think he was uh, quite as good as those numbers would indicate. The, the, the defense, uh, I, will, I will say, in the fourth quarter and over time, Dennis's defense was better than it. It's been. Uh, he was he was locked in. He made a couple of disruptive plays in, 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 in a good way on the defensive end of the floor. 
offensively, though, um, just pretty inefficient. A couple of moments where he just needed to go either all the way to the rim or you know maybe just be a little bit wiser with his mid-range attempts. He had one uh, high-profile spot where he isolated against Vucevic with about three minutes to go, ended up getting a shot block from behind as he tried to do one of his trademark speed layups. It was knocked away by Vucevic, and uh, that's kind of all he had in that spot, even though you know you, his eyes clearly lit up when he saw Vucevic as his, uh, after a switch as his, as his primary defender, but he was not able to take advantage of that. Just a microcosm of kind of the overall standpoint there. It wasn't, again, I'm not saying this was terrible in this game at all, but there were some moments where he really needed to do different things than what he actually ended up doing, especially in crunch time. And, uh, you know, it's one of those games, again, it's, it's kind of a perfect Dennis Schroeder game in that he has uh, big numbers because he had a lot of usage, took a lot of shots. Nobody else on the, on the team took more than 12 shots. He took 26 shots. So, it's gonna, you know, it's, the numbers are going to flow from that, especially when the scoring column and even, even assists, just having the ball in his hands all the time can really be that. He had a couple of nice passes. But still, uh, Schroeder was just okay despite the uh, the big numbers in this game. He was not efficient at all, and that's that's not it's not great in the in the grand scheme of things. You know, 39 minutes though in an overtime game. I have just something worth noting: all five Orlando starters played 40 plus minutes, and no one on the Hawks played 40 plus minutes. That's a, just a perfect uh, encapsulation of Mike Budenholzer. He's not going to just ride guys just to ride guys even in an overtime game. You know, Dennis played the entire overtime period, still only finished with 39 minutes. So, you know, that's, I'm actually fine with that in a season where you're already. 5 and 19 and on the way to the lottery but uh yeah something just to follow away there that Orlando was not shy about playing their guys in the way uh, the Hawks just were not willing to do so Anyway, uh, the Hawks now have two days off um, before facing this sa- these same magic at home on Saturday. The same, it's a, this is a very very weird setup in the in the schedule where you play two, you play two games in a row against Brooklyn in the home and home, and then two games in a row against Orlando in a home and home. Um, this time around, they have two days off though, and that's something that's uh, interesting. We'll see how they respond to this loss on the road in a game that again I think they probably should have won, and we'll see how they uh, handle that in the return trip on Saturday. Between now and then, though, I'm going to be doing uh, one more podcast, so you have you have, have a Friday show for sure. Um, I'm not sure when I'm actually going to record that because the Falcons are playing a large football game on Thursday that I'm going to be watching, but probably will do the show uh, before that. Uh, if not, it'll be very, very late into the night. So either way, you'll have a podcast, I promise. And uh, between now and then, I appreciate it. Uh, everybody, as, I, just again, go back and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already or check us out at PeachyGroup.com. All those, all those fun things. Thank you for thank you for your support. Hopefully, you know for those of you that are rooting for the Hawks to win games, there'll be a little bit more of those, and uh, you'll be able to take advantage a little bit of these uh, spots where they have winnable games. And for those of you that are rooting for ping pong balls, this is another great result and a four point competitive loss in which you know lessons can be learned, some development can be had. But it's still a loss in the standings if you're if you're trying to chase down the Chicago Bulls who lost in uh, similarly heroic fashion <laughs> on this particular evening. So stay tuned as always, everybody. I appreciate everybody listening, and we'll see you guys tomorrow.